author Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome. How are you? Good to have you with us for another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And this time around, we're going to be pulling out the interview that I did from a couple years back with the actor Vincent Pastor. Vincent Pastor has played a mafioso character many times. A lot of you might remember him for his portrayal of Big Pussy in the HBO series The Sopranos. He's also a stage actor. He was in a production of Chicago, and he was in the Woody Allen musical Bullets Over Broadway. We did this interview a couple years back when the idea of Donald Trump being president wasn't reality. It was a thought. We talked about a couple of things. His thoughts on life, the reality of acting, including the things that not everybody sees, social media, his love of music, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my interview with Vincent Pastor. Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest is actor Vincent Pastor. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you, Paul? I'm doing good. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I stay up. So on a typical day, what's the first thing you do in the morning? I wake up and I go down to the corner. I'm an early riser. I get up this morning real early. And then I sometimes nap in the afternoon. I go down a corner and I get my coffee and I pick up the paper. That's the first thing I do in the morning. Coffee is important to a lot of people. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, it wakes you up. Wakes you up. Yeah, I have about three cups in the morning. And I do the paper. I read the paper. And then I go to work on a computer. And then I hit. Uh, I got a little gym down in my basement. And I live on City Island. And it's a great island when it's nice out to walk around. So I try to walk. And I, you know, it depends what the day is, what I have. Like tonight, I I have to go downtown to see a Broadway show. So I want to sit and I take a little nap and I go into the city. Last night, I had a reading with Sean Young in New York around 5 o'clock. We read for some investors for a movie we want to do together. So I try to stay busy every day. And why the morning? What do you, what do you like about the morning time? Well... I like to get my work done, like now, I'm pretty much done with my work by 12 o'clock. And then I, I have my afternoon to myself, you know, to, uh, you know, go to a movie or, go, or do uh, some stuff, the gym or whatever. I just like to get everything done in the morning. And then, you know, I get the afternoon and then the evening to myself. So I like to get up in the morning and get things done. As I get older, I just get up earlier. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit. When you were growing up. What are some of your most vivid memories from the Bronx? Well, I didn't grow up in the Bronx. I grew up in New Rochelle, New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, I grew up in Westchester. Yeah, I moved. I moved out to the Bronx, nineteen eighty-seven. Well, tell us about the the in Westchester. Well, when I was a teenager, we used to hang out at a, at a park where the boys' club was, and we would sing a cappella under the pavilion. I remember that. You know, I remember going to rock and roll shows because back then they would have movies with Alan Freed and Mary Kay, and they would have a live show, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, and they would, these guys would go along on these 
tours with these movies. So I remember that a lot, you know, especially with Turner Classic Movies. They run these movies a lot now. I was watching something the other night, Rock, 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 with Alan Freed. And I remember seeing that movie and actually Chuck Berry, it was the first time I saw him live on stage. So that's what my youth was like. And I used to um, deliver newspapers and spend my money on the weekends. I'd go to the movies on Saturday afternoon. Every Saturday I'd go to movies. That was my thing. And that's what it was like when I was younger. Then I went to high school, I played a little football, and then I went in the Navy. And when I got out of the Navy, I got into the bar business for 25 years. What was the bar business like? Well, I started off tending bar while I was going to college. And then I started to um, be a DJ in a couple of the bars. And then I wind up managing a couple of big discos, which was a lot of work, you know, where you had a capacity of 2,000 people a night. And then I opened up a little rock and roll place in 1980, the nearest show called Crazy Horse, and I had live music seven nights a week. And that was a pretty exciting time in my life. What was the biggest lesson you learned from the years you spent in the, in the club business and, and also as a bartender? Well, you gotta be you got to be careful about drinking because everybody... Um, you know, when I was a manager, we had a policy that the manager can't drink, but when you're an owner... And I own two bars. Everybody wants to buy you a drink. And you got you get caught up in that. You know, it's bad for your health. It's also bad for your lifestyle. You wind up coming home 6 o'clock in the morning, and you become like a bat. So that was the worst of it all. But everything else was a pretty good ride, you know, because I, I met a lot of great musicians back then, and I'm still friends with them now. In fact, I run around with a band now, and I use a lot of the musicians that played for me back then. All those guys stayed in my life. And and back in the 80s at the club, Stephen Tyler, Daryl Hall, Eddie Kendricks, David Ruffin, they all used to come into my bar occasionally and hop up on the stage and, and jam with the musicians that I had, you know. So it was a pretty, a pretty good time, and I wrote a play about it, and... We opened in uh, September in New York. It's called Crazy Horse. That, that was the name of the bar. That's the name of the play. And Maureen Van Zandt, Stevie's wife, she's directing it. We have a theater company in New York now, me and Maureen, so we're getting a lot of work done. It seems like you're a huge music fan. Oh, yeah, big time. What are some of your all-time favorite bands and singers? Well, it goes neck-to-neck between Van Morrison and Bruce Springsteen. And I became friends with both of them, Bruce more than Van. Yeah. I mean, I see Van at concerts. We we talk. We go back, go backstage. We talk. But Bruce, since I met, I became friends with Bruce because he was a big soprano fan because of Stevie. I got involved with a charity organization called Light of Day for Parkinson's and. Bruce is involved with that. So, you know, I go to as many Bruce concerts as I can. I, as Van Morrison, it's, uh, he's a hard ticket to get, you know. He doesn't come into the States as much as uh, Bruce plays. I love these guys both. I could listen to Bruce all day on Sirius, and I could listen to Van Morrison when I come home. I got every single disc Van Morrison ever made and every single disc Bruce ever made. Then there's guys like Dion, Tom Petty, I love you, too. You know, I mean, it's not just Bruce and Van, you know? Yeah. I saw pictures of you at the 99th birthday celebration of Frank Sinatra. 
I take it you're a well, Sinatra oh, yeah, fan. Yeah, but he wasn't around. I was at the party, right, at Patsy's, right, right. Right, I'm friends with Nancy, but I'm real close with Dean's daughter, Dina Martin. I'm friends with Dina Martin. We, we run around together. We do, we do some shows together, and we're both friars, and actually I'm doing something for her in August up in Connecticut. She wants me to do something with her. But I'm real, Dean's daughter and I are close, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. So are, are you a, a huge Sinatra fan? I like Frank. I always like Frank. I kind of like Dean more. I mean, Dean was, I, I liked, what I liked about Dean was his acting. I mean, he was a pretty good singer, but I thought Dean was a great actor. He was very underrated. And also, Frank, he was a great actor. Frank would do just one or two takes and just say, move on. It's really uh, something to watch movies like The Manchurian Candidate or Man with the Golden Arm. I mean, Sinatra was not just a great singer. He was a wonderful actor. Yeah. Yeah. And I was friends with Frank Jr. before he passed away. I knew Frank Jr. Now, that was an interesting man, Frank Sinatra Jr. What did you find him to be like? Well, you know, Frank Sinatra Jr., God rest his soul, was kind of a sad story because he he could never fit into his father's shoes. And and I know he wanted to. And he didn't go out and try to do his own thing. He tried, but it didn't work. So then he went around and he did his father's songs. And he was successful in the nightclubs and the casinos. But I think it was Frank Sinatra Jr. is a typical story of someone who has to uh, live his dad's legacy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of tough. A lot of actors go through that. You know, one in particular, I love Steve McQueen and his son, Chad, and I became friends. We met in Canada a couple of times working on some movies and there was a documentary on Showtime on Steve McQueen with the Lamas and Chad narrated it. And you look at Chad and he, and he's trying, he walks around with a limp because he had some accidents uh, in race cars like his father and motorcycles. I think it was motorcycles and race cars. And you look at Chad and you say, why didn't Chad become as successful as his father? And it's, it's hard. It's like you know, also Anthony Quinn's kid, Francesco Quinn, who couldn't, he was in platoon, who didn't, who couldn't get up there and, and do what the old man did. But then you have somebody like Kiefer Sutherland, who became bigger or even more popular than his father, Donald. You know, it, it depends. It's hard, though. It's really hard for uh, the musicians as well to fill, fill those shoes of their parents. Why do you suppose that some people make it and some people don't? I think it's in the stars. I really do. I kind of felt that way with James Dean, growing up with James Dean, that he came around and he made three unbelievable movies, East of Eden, Rebel Without a Cause, and Giant, and then we lost him. And you wonder why Gene, James Dean was so great. And you look at his work, especially in Rebel, these people are born geniuses. It's the same thing with Brando. I mean, and today you, you see De Niro and Pacino, these guys... They're gifted. They're really gifted. You know, sometimes I, you know, I get a little, I get kind of depressed when I say, you only made it, because I'm going to be 70 now, you only made it to a certain level 
as an actor, speaking about myself, when I say, well, that's not bad, then I say to myself, at least I made it to that level. Some people don't even make it to that level. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. I consider myself like a B act. I'm not an A-list actor. And I say, well, that's okay, because when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actor, you know? So, okay, so... You know, I got a Screen Actors Guild Award. I get some small awards. I didn't get an Academy Award. But then again, you don't know what's around the corner. Yeah, and that's true. Somebody may come up and hand you a project, and it may land you something. It may land you uh, awards or whatever. It's just really, it's uh, acting and being a musician is, is really tough. It's tough. It's Because you don't know when your next dollar is going to come. You don't know when your next paycheck is coming. For both crafts. Would you say that that's the toughest thing about being an actor? That, yeah, is the income. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's why a lot of people get discouraged, because it's like, I don't know, uh, I was at a restaurant the other night, and this girl was serving us, and I said, are you an actor? She said, yeah, and her first answer was, but I'm not going to be forever. I, it's like almost like a negative thing, instead of saying, yeah, I, I like working here. Yeah, I also do some acting. But they, they, but they have this this attitude like I don't like being a waitress. I want to be an actor. And you can't. You can't, there's a saying: don't quit your day job. I know when I was starting off, and I was 42 years old. I had to supplement my income by driving a limousine. That was good for me because if somebody would call me up and say, "Hey, I got two days work for you," well, if you had a normal job and you told your boss, "I'm taking off for two 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 days," then they say, "Don't come back." So you needed jobs like waitressing and tending bar and driving a limo and driving a cab if you want to break into show business, you know? Yeah. Because because the money's not there. It's really not there. The average member of Screen Actors Guild makes less than $20,000 a year. The average. Mm. It's the minority, and it's 20% of the members of Screen Actors Guild that make over $100,000 a year. That's a minority. Very interesting. Yeah, that's true. It's true, because I'm with uh, the SAG. I'm with SAG. I'm very involved. I'm very involved with equity. Act as equity. It's another thing. I mean, you could be in a Broadway show, in a hit, and then not work for two or three years. You know? Because it takes time to develop the, the plays. they got to get a theater. And there's so much competition, so much. So it's it's tough. Well, on the flip side, what's the best thing about your career as an actor? The best thing that happened in my career is uh, the legacy that I could leave behind is being recognized and my pension and health fund. I see. <laughs> you like to be recognized? Yeah, I love it. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. Tell me, have you had some memorable interactions with fans? Somebody comes up onto the street and says, hey, <laughs> tell us about maybe one. Well, you know, I just did three days of uh, Chiller Fest. It's like a Comic-Con in Pacific, New Jersey. And the majority of the people that come up to you, especially since I'm selling pictures of myself from my movies and from Sopranos, majority of the questions are all about Sopranos. Which is okay, but you 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 want to say I'm doing stuff now, but they don't they don't know that or they don't get that. They just they know you from Sopranos. So one of the most asked questions is, 
what did that mean when the TV went blank? Well, I don't know what it meant. <laughs> the last episode, I don't know what was on David's mind. And is there going to be a, another episode, another season, or a movie or something? I don't know what these people are thinking. So people ask me a lot of questions like that, and I really don't have the answers. And I think they need to realize that I was on the show just for two years. I wasn't really involved with that camp after I was dead. You know, I mean, I see these people, and I see David, and I see, I work for Steven. I, I was just on the phone with Tony Sirico. But as far as the show, what's, you know, working? I mean, you lose touch with that whole process. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you go out and do other things. And I went out and I did some some movies. I did some movies for a while. And I've been doing a lot of independent movies now because um, that's what's getting thrown in my lap. And I'm doing a lot of theater in New York now. And right now I'm working on something I'm directing that I start working on it tomorrow. And that's all good. I mean, the average guy at my age, I don't think he, he, he wants to work anymore because I'm going to be 70 years old. I don't think the guy 70 years old wants to work anymore. And my sister says to me, when are you going to retire? And I say, well, you really can't retire in this business. Mm. Wow. No, you can't. I don't see Morgan Freeman retiring. That's true. <laughs> you know? He doesn't retire. He grabs everything he can. Same thing with Duvall, Robert De Niro. Bobby comes out with three, four movies a year. He ain't retiring. You don't retire from this business. You get your pension, but you don't retire. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned theater a second ago, and something I always like to ask anyone who works with Woody Allen. One of the highlights of the show is when we had Woody Allen on. So I have to ask you, what was Woody Allen like from your perspective? Woody's quiet. He knows what he wants. The audition process was... It was... A lot of people say, when you go audition for Woody, it's kind of weird. It wasn't. He was sitting right at the table. He encouraged me to read, and I had a saying for him, and he said, I know you, you can sing, and I, I made a joke out of it. I said, hey, I was, I was on The Sopranos. And working with Woody, the process with Woody... Is he says he is a writer and a funny writer. Uh, he was changing stuff every day until open at night because after open at night, he got a lot to play in. But he was changing stuff. He would come up to me and say, That joke you told last night didn't work here. Try this. So you got to go off to the corner and, and memorize a couple of new lines. And he was like that. And he would write everything down old school on a yellow pad. And then he would hand the yellow, his notes to Susan Stroman, our director, and she would give the notes. So Woody never gave really notes. He, gave, he would let Susan give us the notes, but they were Woody's notes. When we knew we were closing, he came into everybody's dressing room with his sister, Letty, and he apologized that the play wasn't going to continue. And he was really happy uh, that we did what we did. I just feel that you know, Woody, uh, he's a good guy, but he's hes going to constantly be ripped apart because of that whole Mia Farrow stuff with the daughter. And we're in the middle of a run doing a Broadway show, and we're up for Tony's, and that stuff comes out, and that hurt us. That really hurt us. And w whenever he has a movie coming out or something, that stuff comes out, and it hurts him. Whether it's true or not, is the case. The case is, as an artist, he gets hurt by all that stuff. You know, he married his, uh, his, um, 
his wife's stepdaughter and all this, you know. But, you know, the, thing, the truth of the matter is, I mean, we got a guy who's running for president of the United States. He's married to a woman half his age. It's just the way it is now. People, <laughs> guys marry younger girls, you know. I mean, we may have a president whose wife is a former model. That's true. That's the first, you know. Absolutely. Right? Who poses in magazines and bathing suits right now. That's going to be your first lady. That may happen. Because Donald looks like he's going to win this thing. It looks like it. <laughs> yeah, it looks like he's going to pull this off. You know, I heard that Donald wasn't really serious when he started off with this campaign. I could believe that. He just wanted <laughs> to see what kind of what kind of action he was going to get, you know? It's like, you know, you, you, you get in a race and you don't think you're going to win it. And all of a sudden you're winning it. And you say, this is a pretty good feeling. Do you like him? Yeah, I like Donald because uh, he was good to me when I worked on The Apprentice with him. He was good to my family. Uh, I was able to raise some money for my ex-wife's charity, the Lust Garden Foundation. I like Donald a lot. Do I agree with all of his policies? No, but I'm not going to talk about it because the last time I did, they wrote about me in the New York Post saying that I was ripping Donald apart, which wasn't true. I like the man. I don't need to tell anybody who I'm going to vote for. I don't need to tell anybody if I'm Democrat or Republican. That's my own personal business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you, you know, what happens is that you get labeled. Okay, Bruce Springsteen's a liberal, and Alec Baldwin's a liberal, and all these guys. Okay, so if I go and support Donald Trump, does that mean that I'm a conservative Republican? No, it just means that I, was, I want to support the guy because I know him, and I think he could do a good job. But we get labeled. You get labeled. I mean, listen, when you go into that booth and you vote, nobody's supposed to know you vote for. You don't have to tell anybody. That's one of the privileges we have as an American citizen. That's true. Yeah, we don't have to tell anybody who we vote. If you want to talk to your wife about it or your kids, fine. But to talk to the press about who you're going to endorse, when you're in the entertainment business, that can really hurt you. You know, like Frank, we talk about Frank Sinatra. He really supported the Kennedys until... Way it was rumored JFK did not show up at his house because Frank was friends with Sammy Davis, or Frank was going to be the best man. The story goes. So, did Frank get votes for JFK? According to uh, history, yeah, he got all the unions to go after to, to vote for Kennedy. It, it's crazy if you get involved with politics if you're uh, if you're in the entertainment business because it can hurt you. No, it absolutely can. It could hurt you. The wrong guy, if the other guy wins, then what do you do? I mean, there's so many guys I see on Facebook and on the Internet, and they're ripping apart Donald. Well, let me tell you something. If he becomes president, you're going to need him, you know? That's a good point. Yeah. If he becomes the president of the United States, and he looks like he's got a real good shot now, it's 50-50 right now. Because I don't think Bernie Sanders has a chance. It's, it's going to be Donald versus Hillary. And the thing is that he, whatever you say negative about Donald now, and if he becomes the president, it's going to hurt you. All these guys, all these investors, all these people, it's going to hurt them. So be careful what you say about people. That's all I can say. I guess that pertains to pretty much any any part of life. Be careful what you say, you know? 
Yeah, about, about your ex-girlfriend, about who you're dating, about your boss. You got to be careful. Social media. See, I, I didn't grow up with social media. We grew up, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have beepers. You know, you went to the pay phone and called somebody up. And we didn't really even have answering machines. Social media, it's just so many good things about it, especially when you want to let people know about events and, you know, what's going on in your, your, your business life and you want to promote things. But the negative side is that you can post something on Facebook, like a picture with a girl and your wife sees you, <laughs> or you can say something negative about, you know, a politician. All this stuff could come back to you. I mean, look what happened to that football player that was up for a draft last week, and they released something that he posted on uh, the Internet where he was smoking out of a bong. It hurt. He lost a lot of money. So you've got to be careful with social media. Well, on that note, what do you hope people say about you? What do you hope people say about you? In other words, if somebody works with you, and then they're talking to someone else, and they said, hey, I'm going to work with Vincent on this movie coming up. And they say, yeah, I worked with him. What would you want them to say? Well, listen, I mean, I have a theater company, and, you know, right now we're going through a whole thing of casting this play that we start next week. And I was just talking to one of my guys, and I said, um, should we hire so-and-so's daughter? And he said to me, well, is she a good actress? And I said, well, does that really matter? <laughs> it's the guy's daughter. Come on, what do we think we're doing here? Shakespeare? We're putting a play up. We can help this kid. And I really want to hire this kid's daughter. And they said, you should interview her first. And the reason why I want to hire this guy's daughter is because this guy has been really good to me over the past five years with my theater group. So, listen, if his daughter wants to get involved and become an actress, somebody's going to give these kids a break. So I don't think Teddy's going to say anything bad about me. I don't think anybody from the group is going to say anything bad about me. But I know I do have some enemies out there. Do you find yourself thinking about the roles that you're in when you're not filming? Like at the end of the day, or acting on stage, whatever, when you're off, do you find yourself thinking about the role? Yeah, well, if you're really immersed into a certain role, especially when you're doing a play, or when, you, when you're doing a character like in The Sopranos, you live that guy. I remember I was doing the scene where uh, I was in the bathroom and I was trying to take the wire, and then I grabbed my wife by the ankle, and I wanted to hit her, and the character wanted to hit her. And I remember when I was wrapped, because we were doing self-drive back then, I got in my car, and I was leaving Jersey, and I ended up in some um, devastated area in Brooklyn because I was out of it. And, see, that's what's bad. That's why a lot of guys need drivers. You get locked into a role like that, and you, you can go someplace else. Even wonderful actors like Daniel Day-Lewis, they said when he was working on Lincoln, because he lives up there, he lives in Connecticut. They said he walked around in his town for two years thinking he was Abe Lincoln. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if I want to go that far, but Brando, when he was doing Waterfront, he went to the docks. He worked on the docks, it's true, for a couple of weeks. He also went to the gym. You have to do that. you got to do that. you got to learn what the character is about. So when I'm playing a wise guy, 
I go, I go out to dinner. I hang out with the guys. I go to certain neighborhoods. I try to pick up their jargon, you know. When I'm playing a cop, I ride around in cars. I, you know, it's, it's Pacino did it. I, it does it. De Niro does it. You need to. It's like a method approach, uh, which is what I study. Where you need to become the character. You have to be able to turn it off, but when you're on that set, one of the hardest things about acting is when you're doing film work as opposed to stage. When you're on stage, you're on stage at 8 o'clock and you're on stage till two hours. You're in character. Even if you go off for a scene, you come back, you still stay in character. When you're doing a movie, you go in your trailer, you're sitting around for four or five hours, they come back, you do another scene, you may have two days off. They may say, shoot scene 64 today, and then tomorrow we're going to shoot scene one. It's uh, Film is hard. And film is hard because you need to go down through your script and figure out where you left off. You've got to keep your notes so you can get back on track, you know, with your continuity, your wardrobe. I mean, yeah, I have people taking care of that, but. Sometimes you got to worry about if your second button was buttoned. You know, they say they take care of it, but sometimes you got to worry about it. And and especially props, there's so much more involved with film as opposed to theater. Theater is, is tough because you're doing eight shows a week, but theater is easier because once you get rolling on stage, you just go. Film, you got to get caught up all the time. This question comes from Catherine Ward. She wanted to know. Did you enjoy playing Luca in Shark Tale? Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. And what's nice now is that the kids, as they grow up, and they watch this, I have these photos of Luca the Octopus, and I sign them, Luca. The kids, they, they, they say, oh, that's you, that's your voice, you know, my neighbors and my granddaughter. That's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could do more animated stuff. So if anybody's listening, listen to my voice. Give me some work. <laughs> it's really a lot of fun. I did Pair of Kings for Disney, the voiceover of Another Fish. I've been doing some voiceover, but I, I want another big movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. Who have you worked with that you would say was the coolest, the most relaxed, the most enjoyable? Amanasante was great when I did Gotti. We loved working with Jimmy Gandolfini on Sopranos. Quinn was great on Gotti. There's guys like Billy Forsythe, William Forsythe, Tom Sizemore. I've been working with Tommy a lot lately. I just knocked off two films with Tom. He's a treat. I have my soprano guys. I love working with these guys, you know, because we have a history. I love working with Michael Perioli and Tony Sirico. On stage, I really love working with this up-and-coming actor. His name is Nick Cadero. In fact, I'm going to see him tonight because he's doing a Broadway show now called Waitress. I worked with him on both of Broadway. There are people that you love working with all the time, and there are people that you wish you could work with. Who do you wish you could work with? I wish I could work with Bobby De Niro a lot more than what I have been. I had bits and pieces in my his movies over my life, but I really wish that I could just land a role with Bobby and uh, like a co-star role and just ride through it. In fact, you know, when I was doing Sopranos, they wanted me to do Analyze This and Analyze That, and I couldn't, and David Chase wouldn't let us do it because the storyline was very similar, and we had a deal with Sopranos that you couldn't do any movies. 
but uh, I want to work with Mark Wahlberg. You know, I want to work with Kiefer Sutherland. I like Kiefer. I'd love to work with Johnny Depp. There's a lot of guys out there, but I'd love to work with Mark Wahlberg. So if Mark's listening, I know he's doing a couple of projects. Give me a job, Mark. <laughs> what is the best thing about being Vincent Pastor? Well, I got a good life. I got a nice home. I clean it every day. I have good friends. I got a great family. I always have a, you know some money in my pocket. I'm not rich. I didn't have to struggle the way my dad did. My father worked in a factory from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Yonkers, New York. He had a rough life. He didn't make a lot of money, so we were always struggling. My mother had to work. I always got money on me. I mean, I got a good life. You know, my family loves uh, what I do. They're happy. So that's probably about the best thing that's going on with me. The incredible thing about this world we're living in of the World Wide Web is you can communicate with people all over the place. For anyone who's listening in, whether they're driving in their car, if they're listening to this online, wherever they may hear this, what would you say to anyone listening in? Don't give up your dreams. Go after them because they're there. They're right in front of you. A lot of people give up and they settle. You only come around once, so might as well do the best you can do. I keep saying this. It's very important, the legacy you leave behind for your grandchildren. Because they're going to grow up and say, that's who my grandfather was or is. So if you wind up getting in trouble and you do the wrong things, you're leaving a bad legacy. It's like, it's karma. Yeah. You know. So you got to think. You gotta think. I've been doing a lot of charity work lately. and. We're fortunate enough that we can give back, you know. I mean, I had some health issues, but I got my legs and my arms and my eyes, you know. So it's a legacy. It's very important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My last question. Who is Vincent Pastor? Who is he? Yeah, in your own words. Uh, a lot of people say I'm a hippie in a wise guy's body. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I like my rock and roll and I have my vices. I like to wear jeans and my boots and I don't have to shave. I don't want to shave. You know, I'm old school. I came from the world of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Johnny Mitchell, and Paul Butterfield, and all that. And Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of an artsy-fartsy guy, but everybody thinks I'm a wise guy, but I'm not. I mean, I have that demeanor, but that's not who I am. Well, thank you very much for sharing with us. It's been interesting. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, okay. Great, Paul. Nice conversation. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed it. Take it easy. Okay. For more information on the Paul Leslie Hour, or to subscribe, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Ba-ba doodly beep bop Padida, the pumpity boor up a tikan as a jip, a kilak and nuts a gilly bond a good thing, ye jig among it. But is a yell ya hunger. A yang is a gag in a gamble, e dagamago, a gat set, a gada ing a rock a tang a lang a ball, a kick a gong. Oh, goodbye.